You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Wisconsin Sports Heroics Podcast on the Packernet Podcast Network. My name is Sam Holman. I am running the show solo this week. McQuaid wasn't able to make it, um, but he's not missing much because the Packers are kind of crap right now. So we're going to break down the loss of the Bills, uh, look over where the Packers go next, and maybe a little preview of the Lions. Um, but I, I feel like at this point, a, a broader conversation about where the Packers kind of are as a team is is necessary and kind of where their next moves should be. Um, obviously, at, at the time I'm recording this, the trade line, deadline is tomorrow. I don't, um, I believe it'll be coming out after the trade deadline. So I'll be talking as if the trade deadline has passed and the Packers did not make any moves. Um, obviously, I don't know if that's going to be the case. But before we get to that, I just want to start with the Bills game. Just some observations about it I mean I know that some people have been saying that it you know it felt like a little bit more of an optimistic game and I I agree to some extent it felt like the Packers did they fought farther and harder than they have before which I think is a good thing I also think the Bills in the second half were kind of playing at 60 70 percent and they had their last remaining starting safety uh Jordan Jordan Poyer out for uh, for the rest of the game so it's not like they were at full strength in the secondary or on their defense those safeties are really important for what they want to do and um I I don't think it's an accurate judge of where the Packers are to just take that second half and say okay this is actually what this team is um that being said, uh, like, like some people have pointed out, there there were some good things. You saw them, you know, kind of they were trying to bounce back. They didn't completely collapse like we've seen at times in the Matt LaFleur era. And I think that's progress. You know, it's I think what some people, you know, need to realize a little bit is Matt LaFleur has not been a coach for that long in considering the grand scheme of things. And more importantly, you know, you, you can debate what, what an inexperienced or experienced coach is, but he hasn't really experienced this kind of thing before, right? Where he's had multiple losing losses in a row. This was this is the first time in his entire tenure that he's had that. Um, so I think that it's to be expected that it took him a little bit longer to you know recognize and understand how to rally his team a little bit more. Hopefully that continues. Hopefully this is a you know valuable learning experience for him. 
And we, we see more of that attitude moving forward. Ultimately, it didn't make a difference. Uh, Packers still lost 27-17 to the Bills. Um, just a couple other stats. So the Packers, they actually outgained the Bills, 398 yards to 369 yards. Part of that, Josh Allen had two interceptions, which was kind of, he was kind of fooling around in that second half, which is part of the Bills weren't really, they were kind of playing with their food. I think Andy Herman with uh, Pack-A-Day uh, podcast put it that way. They were kind of playing with their food a little bit. Um, so that skewed some of the stats. Um, one, one thing I did notice on offense, it felt like they were really a lot more devoted to running the ball. And I think connected to that, they ran a lot fewer RPOs. Uh, and I know, you know, we, we've seen that that's kind of been a staple of their game plan thus far. Um, right. The, you know, the little bubble screens where Aaron Rodgers can either throw it or he can hand it off. Uh, we've seen him throw it quite a few times, but it, I'm kind of wondering if Malifor wanted to try to take some control out of his hands, um, get him operating more within the structure of the offense. And I think that's a good thing. I think that for them to be competitive, I think that this can continue. And I think that they'll win some games using that, using that method. I, I think they can win against the lions this upcoming week. Um, and it's, I think it's an interesting conversation with that. I I don't think Matt LaFleur trusts Aaron Rodgers, at least on the field at this point. Because, I mean, it's not just been the inaccuracy or, you know, the missed throws. Aaron Rodgers hasn't been reading stuff. He's been, like, against the Giants. He was, he misread Slant Flat or Dragon, as the Shanahan guys call it. That's like a day one early camp install type thing. That's basic. That's stuff Jordan Love. We were debating, you know, we were talking about Jordan Love, you know, struggling to read in the preseason. That should not happen. And I don't know, I can't see a way where Aaron Rodgers would just forget how to read offensive concepts. So it feels like that's a decision by him. It feels like everything's predetermined. Like all the shot plays that we're connecting on are those slot fl- slot excuse me slot fades or the uh, sideline nine routes. Aaron Rodgers is just he's IDing a matchup before the snap and taking the shot like three step drop, and I'm sure pressure is part of that. You know, I don't want to don't want it to seem like I'm just blaming Aaron Rodgers. It's a whole thing. It's a whole interconnected system, but it's been really disconcerting to see him doing this kind of stuff because going into the year you know I would have said that his experience and his ability to read defense was one of the biggest advantages the Packers had at the QB position and that's one of the ways they were going to try to offset the loss of Devontae Adams and I think the fact that they haven't had that or at least haven't had it consistently there there are some times where he's reading out stuff but a lot of it you know he's just predetermining stuff before he even get, gets the snap. And that's concerning. That's not a way you can win on offense. And it felt like the RPOs, what I, my kind of theory has been, as I've been thinking about it over the last couple of days, I think the RPOs were a way for Matt LaFleur to say, okay, here's a way you can, you know, we can work with that predetermined reads, try to play with the rules of the defense, you know, make them have, have to defend a run and have to defend a pass out to the perimeter, you know, just stretch the defense a little bit. Well, you can still, predetermined stuff but that wasn't really working that wasn't efficient enough to really keep the offense going and I felt like Matt for I don't know you know credit to him I, I think that it's good and credit to Aaron Rodgers being willing to ch- to change um 
it felt like Matt LaFleur, for whatever reason, he was finally able to get Aaron Rodgers to buy into just running the ball a little bit more. The the RPOs, I think, were, besides, you know, a way to get the ball in some of their playmakers' hands, it, it was a way for um, them to kind of extend the running game, to kind of get those short gains. Um, but going back to kind of my, my Matt LaFleur doesn't trust Aaron Rodgers uh, theory, it feels like, like they called a wide receiver screen on the, I think it was the first third down of the game, right where Christian Watson got injured, and obviously you hope he's okay. Sounds like there was it was you know just you know quote unquote a concussion. Um, obviously that's no laughing matter, but um, luckily it wasn't anything worse like a neck injury. It was a pretty awkward hit, but you know setting that aside for a minute, I mean. Is that a sign of a coach who trusts his quarterback who to call a wide receiver screen on third and I think it was third and 15? You know, if, if you trust your quarterback, I feel like if you want the ball in his hands, even if he doesn't get the first down, that's a long, you know, obviously that's a long, you know, down and distance. He can at least get the yardage that you're going to get on a wide receiver screen. So why not take the chance that he's going to be able to convert that first down? We've seen him do that before in previous years. Um, and just thinking about that, there have been a lot more wide receiver screens called on you know, second, third, and longs this year. And I just, it makes me think that Matt LaFleur doesn't fully believe that his quarterback can get the needed yardage on, on those critical downs, right? He, he, I mean, I don't know how to describe it other than he thinks that the ball is better placed in the hands of guys like Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson than it is in Aaron Rodgers. And here's the thing, I'm not sure he's wrong about that, because like I said, Aaron Rodgers hasn't been reliable actually reading out defenses and operating, you know, operating the, these passing schemes. Um, it's it's been like I said, it's been concerning. It's the the people who are saying you know he hasn't been playing as well this year. It's not just the inaccuracy. It's not just the arm strength. There are deeper, honestly, more concerning issues for me with with how Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is playing and hopefully it gets fixed. You know, it seemed to, he seemed to play better this week. Um, I kind of wonder if the Packers offense was benefited by getting the ball in Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon's hands a bit more. Um, but I, I mean, all this is all theory and I don't want it to sound like I'm just pinning this on Aaron, the issues on Aaron Rodgers. Like I said, there's been, there's been pressure. The offensive line has been really, really rough at some points this season. Obviously, there's been miscommunications. You know, this is where talking to the guys like Dusty Evely comes in and useful for me, who, you know, I'm I'm used to thinking about things from a defensive perspective. And, you know, guys like Dusty can give me a little bit of a new look at things. But it's just it's just something to keep an eye on, something to think about. Cause it's just that that idea that Matt LaFleur doesn't trust Rogers, it's just been sticking in my head. And I'm gonna be keeping an eye on it for the rest of the season. Um, before we go on to talk about the the Packers and you know some of the defensive issues on the Bills or in the Bills game, just gonna take a quick break for uh, some messages from our sponsors. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. 
We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we are back. Just going to go over some thoughts on the defense from the Bills game. Um, we saw, you know, there were there were a lot of big passing plays. Um I mean, it felt like a lot of guys in the secondary were getting kind of humiliated at times. You know, Rashul Douglas had a big go, uh, double move caught on him for a touchdown. Um, Eric Stokes had some rough times. Darnell Savage was really rough in this game, just all around rough. I, I'm not sure where, where the Packers are going to go with him. Um, even Adrian Amos ha- had some tough moments. I felt like Jair was really the only guy who stood out in a positive way. You know, he had an interception. Rashul Douglas did, a, did as well. That was a nice play by him. Um, but it was just a rough performance from the defense. It felt like the in the Bills, when they weren't, like I said, playing with their food, it felt like they were able to move the ball whenever they wanted to, whether it was running it, whether it was passing it, which passing it is supposed to be what this defense is built to defend. So that's pretty concerning. Um, just a couple, couple thoughts on it. Man, I just don't like the way Joe Barry, I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard the complaints on him, right? You know, he doesn't adjust and everything. For for me specifically, one of the things that really annoys me is his run run defense. It's not just bad, just generally, just because of the players or anything. It just doesn't fit together well. And I think players are part of that. But, you know, he's – the front is playing in a way – so let me back up a little bit. So you've probably heard the too high defense, right? The One of the key – aspects of that that defensive coordinators have to plan around is light boxes and you know we've heard about that with Mike Pettin you know light boxes you know Packers fans are not unfamiliar with that and it's not something that they like to hear or like to hear about um but to defend when you defend the run when you have light boxes you essentially have to find ways to steal gaps back and you can do that a couple different ways you can stunt fronts you can use play your linebackers differently um but one of the key ways that like guys like Brandon Saley, Vic Fangio, those guys, they play gap, what's called gap and a half technique, or what some people call it, gap and a half technique. You know, guys at schools like Alabama and Georgia, they call it something a bit different, and it looks a bit different for them. But it's the same essential principle. Essentially, a defensive lineman, he's going to kind of 
get upfield enough that he can play his primary gap, but he's not going to commit enough that he can't so so that he can hang back and kind of redirect back into his secondary gap if the running back if the running back cuts back. And that's kind of, you know, what the MO has been for a lot of these two high defenses, uh, how, how they've been operating. But what, what Barry do, is doing isn't that. And that's what's really frustrating for me. He's, he's letting guys penetrate upfield, just go, you know, a single gap. That's something you can do when you're rolling a safety down in the box. That's not something you can do when you have two safeties high. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It's, you know, it's really annoying for me as someone who watches defense to just see that. It's just, I I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss for words because you got to understand that, you know, you can't just let guys penetrate upfield and play two high safeties at the same time. That's, that doesn't work. You have to adjust parts of your defense if you want to play a certain way. It, it, it all has to fit together. You can't just do whatever you want at every point in, in the defense. And, yeah, I mean, I, I've been defensive of Barry in the past, and, you know, I kind of had a turning point around the Giants game where I just, yeah, I was done. But he, he has to go at the end of the season, man. I just, he's not a good defensive coordinator. And, yeah, it's it's surprising to me, and I, I think kind of what, fooled me and some other people last year was I think he had to play with guys taking up more than one gap because he didn't have anyone who was good enough to penetrate upfield like he's doing with guys like Jaron Reed even Kenny Clark he's letting penetrate this year um but you know he last year he just had like Tyler Lancaster at three tech you know Tyler Lancaster was playing snaps at three technique and Tyler Lancaster he cannot penetrate upfield all he, he Pretty much all he can do is take up space, and that worked well. That happened to work well with the style of defense they wanted to play in the secondary, but they apparently didn't want to continue that this year, and I think it's really working against them, and just things are kind of falling apart from a, from a structural standpoint. Um, and obviously, Darnell Savage was rough against the run, man. He was not good. I mean, tackling angles were bad. It... I mean, it, it, it's just rough all around right now, man. And and I think that kind of leads me into kind of what I wanted to talk about next is where where do the Packers go from here? I know there are people saying, you know, they should go well all in, they should trade for a receiver, DJ Moore or Elijah Moore. And I understand that. It's painful to think about a rebuild when we've still got Aaron Rodgers in the building. But I think it's time, man. I, I don't think this team is going anywhere this year. And I mean, you can say that the NFC is bad, but the Packers are tied for the third worst record in the in the um, in the conference. You know, the NFC is bad, but the Packers are bad too, right? The only teams who have worse records are the Carolina Panthers and the Detroit Lions. Um, ahead of the Packers, who you know, all these teams have a better record than them, and some of them have tiebreakers. You got the Washington Commanders, San Francisco 49ers. Atlanta Falcons, Seahawks, Giants, Cowboys, Vikings, and Eagles. That's eight teams. That's all the wildcard spots filled, and plus one extra. Um, so thinking about it, you know, just how I, it's hard to see a path for the Packers to make a, a, a push for the playoffs. And this, to do really paint a full picture of this, I'd have to go in and like look at each, you know, possible contenders or playoff teams 
uh, schedule the rest of the way, see how likely they are to win each game, and so forth. But just kind of off the top of my head, I think the Eagles are going to win the NFC East. I think the Vikings are going to win the NFC North. Um, The NFC West and South are kind of toss-up right now. I think it's the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks or the 49ers are going to win the NFC West. And then the Falcons or the Bucks are going to win the NFC South. Now, so that's four teams uh, accounted for. If you look at the NFC East, you've got the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants, all of which both of which are six and two. They are likely going to be the wild card teams right now. You know, if if one of them stumbles down the stretch, um, the the Falcons, you know, who I whichever the Falcons or Buccaneers who are remaining, they could take that wild card spot. Um, the Washington Commanders could take it. Whichever of the 49ers or the Seahawks uh, don't win the division, they could take a wild card spot as well. It's just the Packers are behind so many teams. Unless they like win out the rest of their schedule, it's really hard to see a path to the playoffs for them. And they've still got a lot of tough teams that they're going to have to play. Right? They we've got the Lions next week. I think we can beat them. But if you look after that, um, just pulling up their schedule real quick here. Yeah, if you, after the Lions, you got the Cowboys. That's probably going to be a loss if we're being honest. I know it's painful losing to Mike McCarthy, but but we're let's be honest here. Uh, Titans, I don't know. The the Titans have been kind of up and down, you know, kind of mediocre this season. But I'm not confident that the Packers to to beat even a mediocre team at this point. Eagles, I have a hard time seeing the beating the Eagles. Uh, the Bears, I think they'll beat. Uh, the Rams, again, that's a toss up. The Dolphins, I think they'll lose to. The Vikings, I I, I don't know what to think of the Vikings, but. It's hard to see them beating the Vikings at this point. And then the Lions again. So what? That's, say we lose, um, we win the Lions against the Lions, the Bears, and the Lions again. And we'll throw in the Rams. That's four, four more wins. So that gets us to seven. I mean, seven and ten I don't think is going to be good enough to make the playoffs. And, you know, maybe there's a toss-up in there. You know, we could win against the Titans. And maybe steal one against the Vikings or or another team in there. Maybe surprise someone. But with, with all the other teams who are ahead of us and have tiebreakers over us, like you know the Washington Commanders, um, it's I I just don't see a realistic way. I mean, there'll probably it'll probably be a situation where we're still holding out hope into November and December. Um, and, and you know, there's there's always a chance. Uh, I'm never gonna write off. Uh, right off a team completely, a lot can happen in the NFL. But just given the how far the Packers have fallen behind, they're just the questions about them. I I don't think they've solved any of their issues. Even though this game can kind of feel like you know maybe a little bit of a moral victory for some. Um, yeah, I I think it's time to shut it down. And I think that you know, I, like I said, I'm recording this before the trade deadline, so I'm not going to speak too much on that because you know a lot could happen. But I kind of feel like the Packers should be sellers at the trade deadline rather than buyers. I I don't think they will be just because I think that they're going to hold on hope that a team led by Aaron Rodgers can turn it around. But that's kind of my, just my opinion because uh, this rebuild is going to be painful when it comes. Might as well get what you can from some of your some of the guys you're going to have to probably cut or trade anyway, and you know just get get a little bit of a better start. Um. And and kind of to that effect, if the Packers keep losing games, you know, if they lose against the Cowboys, lose against the Titans, 
lose against the Eagles. If they lose those three games, you know, start playing the young, young guys. Like, Devontae Wyatt, I want to see him out on the field a bit more. Um, heck, Jordan Love, let's see him. Let's find out if he has anything. Because we've only seen him, you know, one game where he had a half a week of preparation and then the Lions game. Uh, and it feels like he did take some steps over the summer based on what we saw in preseason. I'd love to see that in an actual game. But I, I know this is all kind of discouraging. Anything can happen. I, I don't, I'm kind of an optimist, and it's painful to you know talk like this a little bit. But you know, I think that we can still enjoy watching these games. Um, enjoy watching you know our young players, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson. You hope he comes back all right. Samori Toure. He looked like he had some impressive moments. Heck, Amari Rogers did some stuff on offense. He got like a, a transition go from Aaron Rodgers' back shoulder. Like, <laughs> where where did that come from? Uh, I think he should be on offense exclusively, honestly, because it, it feels like he's actually shown some stuff on offense. He hasn't shown anything on special teams besides the ability to fumble the ball. Uh, so that's just kind of my two cents, um, I, a little bit of a rant or a couple rants on the, the Packers and what, what they should do next. Like I said, I think they can win against the Lions. The wheels have kind of fallen off. Feels like a lot of the good feeling around Dan Campbell has evaporated. And, you know, people are talking about firing him or him having to be fired at some point if the Lions keep losing. Man, if the <laughs> I, I hate to put this out into the universe, but if the Packers lose the Lions, I'm, Lions I mean, it's over. That's, that's the worst team in the league right now. So let's hope that doesn't happen. Hope we can celebrate a victory Monday, finally. Uh, but that's just kind of all I got for now. So I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Wisconsin Sports Rorks podcast on the Packernet Podcast Network. And I will, uh, we will see you again soon. <laughs>